0: For our first message, we have a split sermon from Mr. Sean Witt entitled, Our Freedom in Christ. Mr.
1: Witt. Thank you, Reggie. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Fourth of July. I was wondering, do they have the Fourth of July in England? Matthew, do? (laughs) national of those rebels, So they don't just skip, like, from the third to the fifth. Okay, that's good. I figured they probably had the fourth also. Okay, um, Ken, Mr. Barton, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like this. I probably should have warned you ahead of time. Do we have a fire extinguisher nearby? Okay, good. We're not doing a pyrotechnique show, because I didn't think that the board would approve that, you know, during the message. But I'm very concerned for Samuel. This boy has been so excited for the Fourth of July all week. He's like, Can I light fireworks? Can I light fireworks? When can I light fireworks? So finally last night we lit off a few. And this morning, can I go light some more? Can I go I want to light some more? He's just all crazy for it. So he might burst into flames <laughs> during services. So the people around that area for your safety, you might want to move your stuff over and sit somewhere else. Just a warning. <laughs> okay now that's taken care of hopefully you'll be safe you you're pretty brave Kim to sit right there (laughs) alright so today is the 4th of July today I'd like to talk about where we've been where we are and where we're going as a country on this day 239 years ago was the signing of the Declaration of Independence as we all know in mid-June 1776 a five-man committee including Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Benjamin Franklin was asked if they would put together a formal draft, a statement of the colonies, uh, the intentions for the Continental Congress. Uh, Formally adopted, the Declaration of Independence written largely by Jefferson. And as we know, we celebrate this day now because of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So what were the events leading up to the Declaration of Independence? Even after the initial battles of the Revolutionary War broke out, few colonists desired to completely give up their independence from Great Britain. And those who did, like John Adams, were considered radical. Things changed over the course of the next year, however, as Britain attempted to crush the rebels with all the force of the Great Army In his message to Parliament in October of 1775, King George III railed against the rebels' colonies and ordered the enlargement of the Royal Army and Navy. News of his words reached America in January of 1776, strengthening the radicals' cause and leading many conservatives to abandon their hopes of reconciliation with England. That same month, the recent British immigrant, Thomas Paine, he put together a book, a pamphlet called Common Sense, which once he put it out, it sold over, or it was basically sold more than 150,000 copies, which changed a lot of perceptions of those in the New World. But the first seeds of the American Revolution actually happened 150 years prior to this, when the Pilgrims first came off the shore of Virginia in 1620, and they left England, of course, because of um, religious persecution. And that was the beginnings of our country. You know, England pretty much left us alone until the early 1700s, and at that time, they kind of kept an eye on us, but they didn't really mess with us much until they noticed that we had a lot of abundant farmland and a lot of natural resources that they could use. The common belief today is that when they started to take notice of us that they heavily taxed us, and that 's when we decided to fight back uh, to get our freedom that 's the common belief, uh, but there 's more to the story than that than just being heavy taxation. I want to show you that God had a hand in our country 's history, and first of all i 'm going to um, article that I found on wallbuilders.com, and the author is David Barton. I don't know if he's any relation to you, Ken. <laughs> I think you're pretty smart. The article is entitled God Missing in Action from American History, and I'm just going to read a little bit from it. American history today has become a dreary academic subject, yet most who are bored by American history view the Bible quite differently. They love the stories of David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, and Peter walking on water. So it's not that people don't enjoy history, it's just that they don't respond favorably to the way American history is currently being taught. One reason Bible history is interesting and American history is not is that the Bible, as well as American education during its first three centuries, utilizes biographical history, that is, it presents history through the eyes and life experience of those involved, i.e. the biographies, rather than through the recitation of a string of dates, places, and places. It is the difference between reading the stories in guideposts and the numbers in a phone book. So it can be pretty boring and dry going through American history. Looking at history the way God represents it is exciting and it's informative and in numerous verses, God even commands its study. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. And that's in Isaiah 46, verse 9. And I call to remembrance the former days. So God is saying we need to look into the history to see where we've been. And then there's Hebrews 10, verse 32. But why would God want us to know history? The Apostle Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians 10, 1. All these things happened unto them for an example, and they are written for admonition. Admonition. See also Romans 15, verse 4. Those things written aforetime were written for our learning. In short, we learn from history, and what we learn affects our behavior. American leaders long understood this biblical truth. For example, Thomas Jefferson noted history by apprising them students of the past we will enable them to judge uh, we will be enable them to judge of the future and what can be learned by being apprised of the past according to benjamin franklin history will afford qu- frequent opportunities of showing the necess- necessity of a public religion from its usefulness to the public the advantage of a religious character among private persons the mischiefs of superstition and the excellency of Christian religion above all others, ancient or modern. Franklin understood that history, when accurately represented, would demonstrate the need for Christianity because of both the social and the individual benefits it produces. In fact, the presenting of an uncensored and unrevised history actually causes a recognition of the hand of God, for in the words of the great statesman Daniel Webster, History is God's providence in human affairs. However, today history is presented in such an edited, revised, and politically correct manner that God's hand is rarely visible. And even the historic role of the famous godly leaders in education, business, politics, and the military is now virtually unknowledged. It shows that they're not there basically unacknowledged. An obvious example of the secularization of history occurs each year around the 4th of July. Americans are taught that taxation without representation, like I mentioned before, was a great reason American, America separated from Great Britain. Yet, taxation without representation was only reason number 17 on the Declaration of Independence. And that's the one they seem to focus on the most, but they skip up to that one. It was not even at the top half, and yet it was the most ever heard. Never mentioned today are the numerous grievances condemning judicial activism or those addressing moral or religious or other issues. What religious issues? In 1762, the king vetoed the character excuse me the king vetoed the charter for America's first missionary society. He also suppressed other religious freedoms and even prevented Americans. From printing an English language Bible. How did Americans respond? They took action, and almost unknown today is the fact that Declaration signers such as Samuel Adams and Charles Carroll cited religious freedom as the reason they became involved in the American Revolution. Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin, two of the least religious signers, are typically the only signers studied today. Almost half of the signers of the Declaration, 24 of 56, held what today would be considered seminary or Bible religious degrees. Clearly, for many founders, religious issues were an important motivation behind their separating from Great Britain. But that motivation is largely ignored today. Moral issues are... (coughs) accorded the same silence. The greatest moral issue of the day was slavery, and after several of the American colonies moved toward abolishing slavery in 1773, the King in 1774 vetoed those anti-slavery laws, so the King of England was actually trying to make sure that slavery was alive and well in America. Soon to be the signers of the Declaration, Benjamin Franklin And Benjamin Rush promptly founded America's first abolition society as a direct response against the king's order. The desire to end slavery in America was a significant motivation, not only for Franklin and Rush, but also for a number of others. But the end of slavery in America could not be achieved, could not be achieved only if they separated from Great Britain, which they were willing to do and six of the 13 colonies began abolishing slavery following the separation. There were many other significant issues that led to the original 4th of July. So why are Americans familiar, are not familiar with the rest? Basically, because back in the 1920s in the 30s and 40s, a group of secular-minded writers, including Charles and Mary Bard, W.E. Woodward, Fairfax, Downey, and others began penning works on American history that introduced a new paradigm. For this group economics was the only issue of importance. So they began to write text accordingly. Their approach is now described as the economic view of American history and since the 1960s has been widely embraced throughout the educational community. Consequently, taxation without representation was an economic grievance, grievance in the declaration. It became the sole cause that Americans studied. So history has been skewed a bit by taking out a lot of the uh, religious aspects. As a result God is no longer visible in American history and his absence is now construed as a mandate for secularism. Because of this type of attitude we have today's climate. Where are we today 239 years later? Today, it seems our country is fighting for freedom again. But this time, is from God. We want independence from Him. It seems like that's where the country is going. Today, is very evident that we're becoming more and more a godless country. That was very evident in the court ruling that we had this last Friday regarding uh, gay marriage. And then we had this week's ruling Uh, to remove the Ten Commandments from the Capitol here in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma City. I haven't heard what the ruling is yet regarding if they're going to be able to keep it or not. But that was the initial ruling. They had to remove the Ten Commandments. Turn with me now to Deuteronomy 8, verses 19 through 20. Then it shall be... If you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you. You shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Our country's forgotten where it's come from. It's forgotten where, where, where we're going and we're starting to follow in the same footsteps as ancient Rome. At this time, I'd like to show a short video that shows more of the parallels between the way our country is going and the fall of Rome. Let me just tell you right now, um, the name of the video is the 10 uncanny similarities between modern America and the European empire.
0: Between Rome and modern America are, are really phenomenally uncanny. The, um, I'll just give you 10. 10 that, that we should be thinking about. In Rome and also here in the States, there's the rule of an arbitrary domineering plutocracy, which means there, there's a group of, of rulers like philosopher kings, a wealthy class of people that really lorded over another class of people. And they really believed, in Rome, they believed that society must be based on a master slave relationship in society. That was the foundation of civilization. They thought it just had to be that way. A lower class of slaves and an upper class of philosopher kings. The second one is uh, Rome believed that warfare was man's supremely meaningful activity. There was nothing more important that, than a, that a nation could do or an, an empire could do was than go to war. The third is uh, the legitimacy of homosexuality as the sensual preference of the elite. The fourth is the legitimacy of polytheism. They thought that it was completely fine to have many different gods and the worship of many different gods as long as everyone realized that you had to worship the emperor above any, other, any one of your religions. Number five was escapism to an extreme uh, in distracting competitive sport. And the population escaped into that continually year round. Number six, the superstitious or demonic channeling of extra dimensional beings or spirit guides. These were very popular superstitions in Rome as they are becoming here in the States. Number seven, politics as mankind's only means of attaining the good life, meaning this is how you attain salvation. It's got to be through politics. It's got to be through the, the sensible, smart management of the society by that ruling elite. Number eight is the legitimacy of infanticide. They made it totally legitimate to kill babies. Number nine, the debasement of the currency. They began doing it. The the soldiers were the first to complain about it, but they continued to be paid in debased currency until they rebelled. And number 10, um, there were no absolutes of justice or the higher rule of law because this ruling plutocracy was able to just change any law any time that they wanted to, for whatever reason that they gave. And that was the new gospel of the Roman Empire. And the way they used that term was that these would be the edicts, the rules, the statutes of the empire. The gospel of the Roman Empire, the gospel of Caesar Augustus meant the laws of the land.
1: I thought the last one was interesting in light of the changes just recently with the Supreme Court ruling. And the gentleman's name is a historian and cultural activist. His name is Jeffrey Botkin. And I had found that earlier this week. And I thought it was very interesting to show. This is what the world looks like. That wants independence from God. What does this mean for us being Christians today? How can we live in a world like this? Turn with me to Luke 4, verse 18, please. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are, ab- that are abused, bruised, True freedom only comes from Christ. More than ever, we need to be depending on God, the Father, and Jesus Christ to navigate us through this crazy, insane, Satan-influenced world. Turn with me again now to Revelation 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. So we need to be drawing close to him all the time to make sure that we're not being influenced by what's going on in the world. And that brings us to Romans 12, verse 2. If we could turn there, please. And it says, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. With God's help, we need to determine what is Acceptable in this world and we need to be drawing close to him so we, we know what to avoid and uh, what not to be a part of because it's all around us all this craziness we need to be in the world but we don't need to be a part of it so now turn to Jeremiah 17 verses 5 through 9 thus says the Lord cursed is a man who trusts in man if we're not to trust in man we're supposed to trust in God and makes flesh his strength whose Heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places of the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear God when he comes that its leaves will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't lean on our own understanding, because our hearts are desperately wicked. Now, if we draw close to God, he can help us to not have that carnality within us. That is a part of the reason why the world is such a mess, and man's been trying to do it himself mostly for 6000 years. Be encouraged though, God has a plan to fix all this mess, and he will see it through us. He will see it through, but it's not going to be easy. Sometimes life gets hard and he helps us through it, but there is challenges as well. Turn now to Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Once again, In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. God will show us where we need to go if we just rely on him and look to him for his help. He'll guide us through this this craziness in the world. And we need to be watching, though, to, to see where it's going. So now go to Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us, therefore, boldly come before God's throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God wants us to come before his throne to share with him our problems and our concerns. He doesn't want us to have hidden places within us of things that we're trying to keep from him. He knows what's going on in our lives. We can't boldly come before his throne if we're holding back. We have to make sure we are truly... Just giving God our all and not having anything hidden within us. We need to really be seeking God and, and asking for his help. So now let's turn to Romans. Excuse me, we are not going to Romans. We're going to go to Hebrews. Let's turn to Hebrews 13, verse 6. So with coming to the Lord like that and showing him everything about us, we can come boldly before him and say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear. For what can man do to me? Remember, we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. Nobody can harm us or hurt us that's going to make trouble for us. God's the one that we should be worried about, not what man can do to us. Turn with me now to Psalms 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He's there to help us and encourage us. And I was looking back through the Bible and just thinking of different situations of encouragement. If you need encouragement and your things are down and not looking good for you, some things you can remember is uh, God's deliverance. And I've got many different examples. The first one is Noah. God delivered Noah out of the situation that he was in with the world falling apart all around him. And then, of course, there's the exodus, leaving Egypt, and coming up to the Red Sea, and God uh, pulled them through. He showed them they were up against the water, and they thought, what are we going to do now? Well, we need to have faith that God's going to pull us through. And then there's the situation of the Battle of Jericho, and they walked around for seven days, and the walls fell. And there's the example of the American Revolution, without God pulling our soldiers through that. We wouldn't have won that war, but we were intended to win. We were outnumbered by, the, um, by England, but we won that war. We were ultimately supposed to do that, and God pulled us through. And the book of Revelation is our ultimate deliverance of his people. And all mankind, deliverance from ourselves and the human condition, God's going to deliver all of us at that time and it's a great example for us to know that we're going to make it through all this time. In the end, we win. And I, we took the word independence, and I broke it down like an anagram. So if you want to write down on a piece of paper just independence, uh, maybe straight down on a piece of paper if you'd like to. You don't have to if you don't want to. But basically, on the letter I, I just left I alone. But for the end, we put need. And then for the letter D, I put dependence on God. So I need dependence on God. And then for the letter E, we put education from His word. And I'd like to have us turn to John chapter 8, verse 32, regarding education from His word. "And you shall know that the truth, you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free." So we have independence in God we have to have the truth and it'll help to set us free if you go down the next one is P in independence we need to have a passion for his way of life if we're not passionate we're just going to be just people that don't have passion and we, we need to have passion because otherwise if you're not passionate about something you're going to just not have any excitement you're just going to be it's uh, bethe- the word I'm looking for you're going to be um, it's blasé. You need to have some passion in your life. And then we have the E after P. Experience is to gain wisdom, to share with others and learn from your mistakes. We need to share with others and, and learn from what we go through. And the letter N is newness of life. And through the newness of life, we're transformed. We're transformed through God and his word. And then D, we have devotion to him. We need to be devoted to him. And E is encouragement. You can turn to Hebrews 3, verses 13 on this one. That exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we need to not be down on ourselves, but encourage each other when we're going through troubles and help somebody. If we know it's something they're having difficulty with, we can encourage and help them. And then for N, never-ending patience. And turn to Psalms 37, verse 7 for this one. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. We can't be concerned about all the stuff that's going on in the world. We just need to be leaning on God and having the patience within him that he will be there to help us. And then C, we have Christ for the letter C. We need to have Christ-like minds and hearts. And then the last one is E. That one's endurance. And on that one, turn to Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnars us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We need to keep running that race. We need to be motivated. There's times where we get down and depressed but that's the time we get down on our knees and we pray and we ask for God's help to pull us through to make sure we can run that race. Because we are going to go through some difficult times. As our society starts to break down and get harder, we are going to have times where we really need to be drawing close. We need to be drawing close now to develop that relationship with God so that when those times come about, We've already developed that relationship. So in conclusion, as we see the deteriorating of society and the condemnation from man towards those who follow God's command, because there is going to be that, there's going to be people condemning us for what we do, let us take heart in one final scripture. Please turn with me to Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh that their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be So, then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he was raised... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So tonight, as you're celebrating and enjoying uh, being around your friends and family, lighting firecrackers and just having a good time, remember your true freedom only comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ, who laid down his life
0: to give you freedom.